Wine, Food, Talk. NapaBroadcasting.com. Welcome back to NapaBroadcasting.com. Back in November of 2001, just two months after 9-11, Copia, the American Center for Wine, Food, and the Arts, opened. It was the culmination of the vision of Bob and Margaret Mondavi, a vision that captured the spirit of the Napa Valley, but was never on solid economic footing. Copia closed, and for the past eight years, the building and the surrounding area has been one of Napa's question marks, even as downtown and the Oxbow and the areas around it have reflected the incredible positive change that has been downtown Napa. Ahead of its time, maybe, or just ill-conceived, Copia, or at least the building that once housed it, may now have a new life. To talk about the latest chapter in the Copia saga... I'm joined by Kurt Johansson of Triad Communities and Mark Erickson, the provost of the Culinary Institute of America, to talk about their potential new plans for Copia. Kurt, Mark, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Great to have you here. Um, Kurt, I want to really start with you because you've been kind of the prime mover in this. And tell us a little bit about Triad, about how they got involved. You were one of the bidders when uh, the bondholders of Copia put out an RFP. Talk about why you you decided to get involved and and what your vision was, what your plan was. Happy to do that, Jeff. Um, So it's a a bit of a circuitous road we took here. If you recall, when Copia was still functioning— Back in I think 2007, um, they they actually encouraged developers to come forward to try to buy some of the property to keep them afloat. Uh, they wanted to stay solvent and were looking at their land as maybe having development potential. So there was a an RFP, if you will, put out at that point looking for development interest. We had been looking to get involved in downtown Napa for some time, but couldn't find the right site. But we were intrigued because the Oxbow is such a a desirable location, and we really liked the Copia um, mission. It was very important to us, um, certainly the Mondavis and and the the goals for it. And we wanted to be helpful to Copia. Um, That was a primary motivator for us. So we took a, a detailed look at the property at the time, submitted a proposal then, and that proposal was accepted by Copia, by their board. They actually voted on it, and um, it was only a matter of weeks later when we received the bad news that they were going to be filing for bankruptcy. So we boxed everything up, put it on the shelf. It just felt a little sad because we had put a lot of time and effort into figuring out something that hopefully could keep Copia uh, afloat. And here we are eight years later. Um, the uh, insurance company who took the property back goes through a similar process, but this time, of course, Copia is no longer. The building has been, uh, if not shuttered, certainly uh, patchworked over over the years. And, you know, we, we took a look at it and said, what's different now is we have to find just the right fit for the use of that building, the repurposing of that uh, very large and very specially designed structure that is so important to the community. And we, frankly... Uh, could not find anybody um, that even compared to the Culinary Institute as a perfect partner for us. How different is is this overall plan, both the CIA part of it, and we'll talk to Mark about that in a little bit here, but that and the development part of it, how fundamentally different is it from the plan that you had submitted and talked to the Copia Board about back in 2007? Um, significantly um, different because back then the number of hotels that have now sprung up in Napa weren't, they were just uh, 
uh, an aspiration at that point. So we were thinking at that point that um, hotels needed to come into the town. And, um, you know, we were, we were thinking uh, back then that hotel uh, would be one use that might be good for the property. Um, it was also going to have some mixed use, um, you know, some residential, some retail, but a whole lot more development than we're thinking now. We've scaled things way back, and the, we've been able to scale things back to eliminate a hotel. So we, we have no need to put any hotel out there. Uh, there's, there's, uh, my understanding is there's hundreds of permits already uh, issued waiting to come in for new hotels besides the ones that are already either existing or under construction. Mm -hmm. So we're down to a very sort of a smallish mixed-use project, mostly residential, with some small retail, not to compete with the downtown, but to just sort of further enliven First Street um, and to keep it more active uh, to complete what Oxbow Market Mm -hmm. and, and CIA basically will be the anchors for. When there were first discussions about what to do with Copia, kind of in the first round that ACA, the insurance company, the bondholders undertook, did you approach them at that time to get involved early on? They actually came to us. Um, we we knew that they had talked to other developers um, prior, a couple of years prior to that. In fact, they were even pursuing some of their own vision about what to do with the property. So we stayed completely away from that. Um, we only got interested when it appeared that that effort on their part was not going to uh, – that was not going to result in the something that they, they could move forward with. And they really felt like they needed to change direction. And at that point, we sort of dusted off the files and came back in. Talk a little bit about the process. What do you think that it was in, in your proposal in this round when the RFP was put out there? There were a number of other people that put proposals in. What is it about your proposal that you think, one, caught their interest, and two, what can you tell us about the financial terms of it and how this works? If not mm. necessarily numbers would be great, but if not necessarily numbers, at least the structure of how this will work mm. with respect to, to ACA and Triad, the CIA, et cetera. Yeah, and, and I know you can appreciate this. We have to be very careful of confidentiality agreements right. and whatnot. Well, that's why I'm saying, I mean, even putting numbers aside, right. the, the, the sort of inherent process yes, in all of yes. this, how it will work. We could talk a little bit about that. Um, well, um, I can't really speak to other proposals. I've never been privy to what other developers submitted. I can tell you this. Um, we sat and thought long and hard about whether to submit a proposal that did did not have uh, the Culinary Institute as a, as a colleague of ours going forward, and we could not come up with a good plan B. So we threw all our eggs into the basket to say, we have a vision for this. It, it includes the Culinary Institute. If the Culinary Institute feels good about working with us, we're moving forward. If they do not and prefer to go in a different direction with another developer or perhaps they have another idea, we, uh, we, would, we would have withdrawn. And fortunately, um, I think um, to Mark's credit and, and the entire organization, the more we got to know each other and understood the sensitivity with which we were looking at the property, I think the more it engaged, um, and I'll let Mark speak to that for himself, of course, but the more it engaged the idea that we were a complementary use. So for us, the vision had to be um, small enough in scale that Napa could not be intimidated by it. So basically, we limited everything that's going to be new to the south side of First Street. 
so that the north side of First Street would pretty much stay as you see it today. And that's what people are used to. It's got a very open feel. The building may need some cosmetic uh, work, but it's, it's, it's basically going to stay what people are used to. And on the south side, where an awful lot of parking lot is not a productive economic use, that's where we think some new mixed-use buildings make a lot of sense. How are these two things, and and Mark, we'll we'll get to you in one second here, how are these two two things tied together in terms of approvals, deals, structure? How are the two interrelated, both the CIA's use Mm. of the existing building and what Triad wants to do with the south side? Okay, I think the short answer to that, it's a complicated process, obviously, we go through. But the shorter answer is that um, we all believe that a master plan for the entire property is appropriate, because if you piecemeal this, it, it usually leads to bad results. And I think uh, ACA, if they were here, would probably agree to that. Um, parking is a very big issue. Everybody's aware of it. We need to solve it as a global issue. So the Oxbow Market is a player in that. Certainly the Culinary Institute um, and anything new we put on the south side um, all of those parking demands can be solved with a holistic approach. So th- th- the structure of the deal is such that while um, the Culinary Institute will actually be the owner and operator of the north side of First Street and all the property there, and we will be the owner and developer and ultimately operator of the south side, and that when I say south side, I'm also including an assumption we're making that we will be able to be uh, be able to be given the right to acquire the county courtyard. Um, that then um, keeps the ownership separate that way, but with issues like parking, we must have joint agreements that allow us to work together because the south side is necessary to help solve issues, um, particularly around parking, that the north side now has. Now, one of the things that Mark indicated, and, and Mark, you can speak to this in just a moment, one of the things you indicated is that the the CIA wanted to move essentially with all deliberate speed in terms of being able to do things with the existing building. Obviously, development on the south side is going to take a long time. To what extent are they contingent on each other? In other words, do the approvals for the south side have to happen before the CIA can go ahead with its plans for the existing building in the north side? Mark, do you want me to take first shot at this, or do you want to yeah, do Yeah, why don't you do that? Okay. First uh, our, our thinking on that, um, Jeff, and of course we have a process to go through with the city that is just in the, in the fledgling stage, so there, there will be some of this discussion coming up pretty quickly now that we've had our first sort of meet-and-greet meeting. Uh, our thinking is that um, even with a planned development-type approach and a long process that entitlements have to go through on the south side, there is a way for um, the Culinary Institute to actually be given access early on the north side of the building because um, a number of the issues that are driven by development on the south side do not affect the north side. So we don't want to isolate it into two projects because if you make it into two projects, then it's, it's not possible to holistically solve problems. So they do need to be linked that way. But the city has the ability, we believe, to actually treat the... Um, underlying um, zoning for the north side as part of a PD for the whole project with a master plan. And so while we're taking a bunch of time on the south side to go through all the environmental review and deal with the affordable housing issues and design issues, all the things that NAPA, of course, rightfully so, will care about and take a, want to take a bunch of time to do, the, the occupancy of the former Copia building 
can be expedited, we believe, so that even though it's a phased approach, we would like to see um, the city help uh, the Culinary Institute get in the building quickly mm-hmm. and start to operate as fast as they can. And while the city has the ability to do that, certainly, and, and you hope that they do, what about ACA, and are they willing to do it in that phased way? ACA, to this point, has um, been very supportive in um, allowing us to structure the arrangement so that um, the Culinary Institute and Triad have their own agreement to work together cooperatively, but at the same time, each has separate agreements with the sellers, with the insurance company. So it's a um, it's very much a uh, collaborative process, but it's also um, legally structured so that each side can pursue what they need to pursue independently. Which is a good point to bring Mark in here and talk a little bit, Mark, before talking about what the Culinary Institute wants to do with the building. Let's stay on the, the subject of process for a moment and talk a little bit about how that would work if, in fact, the CIA moves into that building first. Would, it, would you be buying it? Would it be some kind of rental arrangement? How would that work with respect to ACA? Well, certainly our, our intention would be to uh, purchase the property and to uh, engage in business-generating activities possible. So um, the option of leasing is is something that might be worth considering, but our preference would be to go forward with it. Mm-hmm. And talk a little bit about uh, how you came into this process with Triad, with Kurt, and, and really a little bit about what, what your vision is for uh, for the building. Well, I, I represent an institutional decision, so uh, we were introduced to Kurt and the uh, the Triad team um, uh, several months uh, into the, the entire process. Uh, our president, uh, Tim Ryan, uh, engaged in uh, the initial discussions. Um, and then in my role, um, basically, and because of my uh, knowledge of the Napa community, having been the managing director at our Greystone campus in St. Helena, um, you know, uh, President Ryan asked me to, uh, you know, engage on some of the more uh, details with regards to the community and um, uh, meeting with the uh, civic leaders and, and other groups in order to, you know, uh, assess what our best approach would be and how to partner with Triad in the most uh, effective way. And out of those conversations came much of what you uh, talked to the Planning Commission about on Thursday night, and a little bit about what uh, the CIA envisions for the building. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, I think the the key thing is that, um, you know, I, lo- I think a lot of people are very uh, excited about the idea of Copia coming back to life and, you know, and listening to and, and being familiar with, with Copia because of our long-standing relationship with the Copia entity and property and Bob Mandavi and and really going back to the early visions uh, that Bob uh, shared with us going back to the late 80s when uh, he first came to our campus here in Hyde Park, New York and described his uh, desire to put together a a group of uh, organizations to, you know, build what became Copia. So that relationship goes uh, back many years. Um, and, you know, I think the, the idea of it uh, was uh, extremely valid then. I think it's extremely valid now. And so um, although uh, the Copia organization uh, ran into issues, and um, uh, you know, I think that um, what it means to the community of Napa, uh, the, the wine industry, and to the potential uh, visitors to wine country and, uh, um, is, is still something that we're very excited about from the culinary institute to be able to deliver an experience that that um, you know celebrates all that's there. 
Besides the financial side, what do you see as, as having been the fatal flaw in the original Copia? You know, I, I can't, uh, I don't think I'm qualified to criticize and, and describe what a fatal flaw was. I mean, obviously, um, not any, I, do, I doubt that there was any single thing, um, whether it's a combination of timing, the economics uh, that uh, uh, resulted post 9-11. Uh, I think there were a variety of factors that uh, entered into it. Um, our uh, approach is something I can speak to, which mm -hmm. uh, we've been quite prudent about designing a pro forma um, of, and a portfolio of different business activities uh, along with a, uh, uh, an approach to generating uh, a decent amount of traffic, traffic in the door um, to allow people uh, free access to uh, what we think are valid attractions to people visiting the Napa Valley and then provide them the opportunity should they choose to to uh, do business with us whether it's to dine in one of, one of our restaurants uh, partake in a uh, long-term or short-term cooking class uh, shop in a retail uh, store but the idea of, of having something there for people to access without any expectation of uh, buying a ticket or spending any money and let that be a choice of theirs. Um, that was, I think, probably one of the things that Copia may be, and I know that they changed course on this uh, during the course of their uh, existence where they required tickets as uh, at the beginning and then uh, decided to open the access later on, but it, it might have been too late at that point. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's happened in, in the intervening eight years since Copia closed is that it's become, in, in many respects, kind of a, a community hall, a community meeting place. It's been used by Bottle Rock. It's been used by the film festival. It's been used by nonprofits. I mean, the good news is that there have been some bodies in there and it's gotten some use. Do you see that continuing in any way under this arrangement or, or not? Well, I think the first thing to point out is that, that we're a, a community-focused entity as well. Uh, we're also a nonprofit ourselves, so uh, first and foremost, uh, we would need to make sure that we uh, cover all the bases to make sure that our uh, business uh, and our activities are appropriate for us to sustain ourselves. Uh, but certainly our our commitment to staying engaged on community uh, uh, activities and, and entities uh, that um, would benefit from the use or the support of the uh, the Copia entity, uh, we're certainly open to that and, and have a, a commitment to that. Um, and I think as long as it's kept in balance to make sure that it, it doesn't become its primary purpose, um, but is a uh, one of the things that we bring to our commitment to being a good neighbor and, and being a part of the Valley, we're certainly open to that. Question for both of you, Kurt, I'll start with you. How do you see and, and what conversations have taken place with Steve Carlin with respect to interfacing with the Oxbow and what's going on there now? Yeah, we've had the pleasure of um, numerous meetings with Steve to talk about the market and how it's changed over the years, how, you know, initially it also went through the recessionary period where it struggled initially, and now it's really thriving. So we're all happy about that. It's it's created a destination unto itself, which is wonderful for the Oxbow area and for the downtown overall. Um, the situation with Oxbow Market um, has evolved over the years, and we're very sensitive to the idea that um, we want to continue to help uh, Steve and his partners to continue to do the things that they're doing and generate um, a lot of business there. And the challenge of parking, as I had mentioned earlier, is, is really probably top of the list for 
collaborative things to do with the market. Um, there are a couple of other issues that Steve has brought forth that he wants us to work with him on, and they're all very solvable kinds of things, how the retail you know, inter- integrates with each other and so it doesn't compete and things like that. But the parking clearly has been uh, the issue there, and they've been able to get by um, over the years because there's been some parking not really theirs, right. but uh, <laughs> uh, fortunately available um, close. Uh, our, our theory on this is that in order to create economic development, when a city moves from a sort of a sleepy um, non-destination, uh, as Napa was you know, 15 years ago, uh, maybe even 10 years ago, to a thriving, very urban environment as it's becoming now and has, has been moving very quickly on, um, it's a destination now. It's its own destination. People no longer need to drive past Napa to go uh, to the places they want to go. Napa is itself, the city of Napa, and particularly the downtown, is really a happening place. And we love that um, because that's, we believe, as sustainable community developers, we believe that the heart of a city is really its density, its uh, walkability, its 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 its, its um, attraction unto itself because it has a wide diversity of uses for people living, working, playing, shopping, all in the same area. And, you know, not necessarily having to get in your car to drive everywhere you need to go. And so surface parking lots are a suburban ideal. And um, when, a, when a downtown transitions into a true urban destination, it's time then to think about parking lots as not being the best use of land. And actually parking is a necessary evil, I call it, um, because we always have to have enough parking for cars. The people aren't gonna stop driving cars. So we're all aware of that. And it's expensive, but for us, putting cars underground in structures, sometimes above ground. In this particular case, we want to put all the cars underground on the south side, and we would include a sufficient parking there so that we could help uh, the Oxbow Market as well as the Culinary Institute uh, not have a parking problem. And we we have a wonderful way to do that because it's a complementary use. So one of the things about when you share parking, um, you have to think about demand and when it, when it comes um, peak. So the nice thing about the operation for both the Culinary Institute as well as the Oxbow Market is their peak periods for demand of parking is daytime, hours. For a residential project, even a small one like ours, its its peak demand is in the evening, and so a lot of parking can be shared that way so that it's a very efficiently used parking structure. And um, when you think of uh, all projects that are always separate, mm-hmm. they each have to deal with their own parking in, independently, then they miss the opportunity for sharing. And how do you see the CIA interfacing in terms of the things that you want to do, the CIA interfacing with the Oxbow market? Mark? Well, I think uh, oftentimes people jump to the conclusion that they see the activities of Oxbow and CIA um, uh, as being different. And frankly, I continue to look at it and say, um, I, I, I think that the two entities are essentially attracting the same, if not similar, audience uh, with regards to it's people who are interested in a, uh, a food-based uh, activity and um, of high quality and those kinds of things. So I, th- I think we're, uh, in many cases, going to extend the stay of people who come to one or the other by offering two options. We park once and visit two entities. So I, I think that there's a, uh, a healthy symbiosis between uh, what uh, Oxbow Market and what the CIA Copia intend to do. Mm-hmm. 
Kurt, I want to come back to sort of the, the broader framework of the project. You mentioned the county courtyard is hopefully being a part of this. Where, if anywhere, do those discussions stand, and, and what is your sense of how difficult or how easy that's going to be? Well, we're just really beginning that process. We didn't want to get ahead of ourselves and, and you know be talking to the county until we had a sense if the city, um, the community of Napa, uh, was enthusiastic about the concept. And so now... Um, Certainly, uh, with CIA as a key component, we feel like there is um, a sufficient level of enthusiasm to move to the next step. So we do need to engage with the county to talk about um, that that piece of the project. One of the things that we're particularly excited about, and we think the county will like as well as the city of of Napa, is that sustainable community is a a pretty broad term, means a lot of things. For us, it means environmental and social issues have to be built into the concept. And so while we may be talking about some housing and some retail, we're also talking about very green buildings. We, we love green buildings. In fact, the aspirations of the city to do, you know, lead-type buildings and whatnot, that would be a starting platform for us. We would take it to higher levels than that. Um, we particularly like things like reclaiming gray water for irrigation purposes so that um, the drought has made people much more aware of. Um, the the problem with potable water, but we've been thinking about that for 15 years, which is we can't continue to waste our resources, and water is one that's front and center now. But um, other uh, issues are real important to us, uh, for instance, affordable housing. So um, the site is limited in its size. We can't put too much housing on it. You're talking about how many units? Well, we, we have roughly 185 units Um on that south side. That does include um, and makes the assumption that we'll be able to work mm-hmm. something out with the county. But um, we would also like to work with the city and find an opportunity to build some affordable housing that goes along with the project, workforce housing. Um, I think workforce is really the appropriate term because um, Napa needs more housing for its workers. And this, the site on the um, Oxbow property, um, the Copia property, is really lends itself to higher-end housing. It's the one site in downtown that could really take higher-end housing. But there are other wonderful opportunities to build very high-quality workforce-type housing that's priced appropriately for the people who really do want to stay in Napa, who work in Napa already. Mm-hmm. So, and, and would that be included in the 180-some-odd units you're talking about, or would that be an addition to? We would like to make it be a percentage and an addition to. So um, because it would be two separate sites, it wouldn't overburden that site. But we would like to uh, see how many units are possible on um, one or more um, opportunity sites that the city might have. And, mm-hmm. you know, the city's general rule of thumb, as many cities are, I think in the past has been 20%. So if you take a 20% factor of 187, we would be looking maybe to try to do 40 to 50 uh, workforce homes mm-hmm. um, on an on a opportunity site yeah. for that. And that makes us feel like the social piece is, is built right into the project, as opposed to writing a check and then hope they get, get built by somebody else someday, and then they never get built, and you know that kind right. of thing. Right. On the site itself, what kind of ha- what kind of housing are we talking about? What does it kind of look like, and, mm-hmm. and what what price range are you envisioning? What kind of housing is it? Mm. Well, um, it's still early, and so this is all going to go through a whole design process that's going to be informed by the community uh, feeling as well. But uh, at least initially, to fit um, enough units to make this viable financially. Because um, obviously it's a big cost with buying the property, and there's also a very expensive cost to deal with this uh, 
parking holistically and, and underground garages. But um, we believe a combination of, of different product types. So we think some single-family homes are appropriate out there, um, what people are more used to, the lower-density type homes. But we also think some um, townhomes and some flats, some uh, one-, two-, and three-bedroom type flats. Mm-hmm. Uh, wouldn't be apartments. They would be for-sale units. Uh, but they would uh, be built on what we call a podium, so basically units that are built on top of the garage. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, we think that um, you know that's a product type that would be a new introduction for Napa. You wouldn't have been able to probably do it 10 years ago because that market wants more activity. They, that, that type of buyer who uh, probably empty nesters, they don't have kids usually. I mean, this is not going to be a kid-type community that right. way. Um, the affordable site, certainly, right. I'm sure, hopefully would be populated with lots of lots of families. But this is generally probably an older buyer, and um, you know they're downsizing a lot. They don't need the big, sprawling house that they've had for years, and now you know they want to be um, uh, more manageable, less less work basically for for downsizing. But I think in that location, the buyer is going to want um, very high quality uh, finishes. They're going to want some elegance there. They're going to want to do entertaining there. Because if, if we execute this properly, I think it's going to be the place um, to have a, a, a sort of a luxury residence. And, you know, when you talk about prices, the, we're not there yet. I mean, we, right. we actually are now talking, um, again, based upon the initial feedback, we're now going to talk to experts, market people who understand how to um, position that and tell us what pricing looks like and even product type and what people would likely to be looking for there to make it as successful as it could be. What we don't want to do is build a project that doesn't respond to market. Right. So um, we're, we're just starting that process. One of the things that I'm sure you'll hear a lot about in addition to the parking, which is, as you yes. said at the outset, everyone's concerned, is we always hear with new projects, traffic, traffic, traffic. Yes. What What are you thinking about in terms of, of mitigation in that regard? What kind of infrastructure improvements in the area? Well, um, the good thing we have working out there, I think, is that Napa um, is is well laid out in the downtown area. So there's multiple points of access to get around. First Street is just one of numerous ways to cross from east to west. What we would like to do is, um, because of the um, compatibility, we think, of the vision of the project and, and also with Steve Carlin's project, is to have a park once concept. So the idea being that First Street would no longer be a, sort of a, a fast highway through. Um, we, uh-huh. would, we would do some traffic calming to slow cars down. So they came through much more safely down First Street. But the idea would be to give them ample parking and then let them walk and make it much more walkable. So when you make um, a, a pedestrian-friendly area, there's usually um, a trade-off there. I mean, you've got to slow cars down a little bit. And First Street, we feel, has the capacity to handle the traffic because it's not the only street, obviously, crossing from east to west. Um, There are other options. So we don't think First Street needs to be widened or any of that kind of thing. We believe it has capacity. But what we also want is we will want to discourage the the just the through traffic from there and usually when you calm and slow the traffic down a little bit if they're more in a hurry they will use more arterial type streets so we don't think there's a whole lot of change that's going to be necessary there um i think um obviously the culinary institute will generate um a number of visitors there's no doubt that they're very successful in their other locations and so there will be lots of visitors but we really want those visitors to do what mark said earlier is to come in have ample parking, park, 
but not get back on the street. So the idea is traffic traffic gets increased on streets incrementally when people feel like they need to jump back in the car and then go drive again. We want the downtown, including the Oxbow, to be a park once district. So that, and I know the city's already thinking this way in terms of its other mm-hmm. broader vision for parking, so that you see people walking all over the place. The bypass, obviously, in the river will help a lot because there's wonderful pedestrian connections being created there. Mm-hmm. And so once, once that behavior gets ingrained in people, it feels very comfortable for visitors to stop driving so much. And I don't think the, uh, the impact of the visitors is going to be anywhere where it would be if we, we didn't take that approach. Mm-hmm. And a question for either of you, whichever of you want to answer it. If, in fact, the CIA is able to move into to the Copia building first, and, and that phase of this project happens first. Who becomes the leaseholder of the Oxbow market? That's uh, ACA now in Copia. Who, who, who takes on that responsibility? Mark, you want to take that one? Uh, the Oxbow the market? Yeah, I think Jeff's question was about um, because ACA initially decided to do a ground lease with the Oxbow market. Right. Um, and there's a very complicated set of agreements around that ground lease. I'm not totally sure. I totally understand them myself. So I was trying to hand this one off to Mark. <laughs> yeah, I don't have the answer for that. <laughs> it's it's I I I believe right now um, Steve Steve of course is is can answer all these questions for you. But I believe right now the Oxbow market is very comfortable with the arrangement they have with ACA Mm -hmm. and that um, he's moving full speed ahead to continue to do all the wonderful things he's doing to even take the successful business even to another level. And we want to collaborate with him on a number of issues, but the actual ownership of that, we don't see that changing anytime soon. And I have not heard from Steve that there's Mm -hmm. anything in the works there. I mean, um, sometimes ground leases get converted to actual fee simple um but that would be between the two of them Mm -hmm. and is there any uh connection or any talk of doing anything in connection with the potential hotel next door what was originally conceived as as the ritz carlton property mark you want to jump on that one well we we certainly have had conversations with the uh owners there um being close to um but at this point, uh, not exactly clear what that would manifest in a relationship or, or other interaction between our organization. Mm-hmm. One thing I can add, Jeff, is sure. that um, we have had um, productive meetings with them. And while um, I think they're in a process of figuring out direction for themselves, the one thing they uh, expressed to us that they were very relieved to hear was that there wasn't going to be a competing hotel mm-hmm. right across the river. And so once they understood that there was no hotel in our vision uh, there, that I think gave them a lot of comfort about moving ahead without direct competition right there. Right. A couple of quick things. What's planned? We talked about the housing. What's planned for the retail part of it? You mentioned mm-hmm. about 30,000 uh, square feet of retail the mm-hmm. other night before the planning commission. Yes. yes. Um, we we um, do not want retail to become a big component here. So 30,000 feet is not that much. In fact, Steve reminded me that it's about the same size as the Oxbow market itself. So um, he's a retail expert. Uh, we, we do retail because we feel like mixed use is a good thing to do. Uh, but we also like to get informed by operators who know how to do it. <clears throat> Steve's been very encouraging that there's a way to sp- 
do specialty independent retail mm-hmm. that doesn't compete with what he's doing because it's really not a food-driven idea. Would he be a part of the retail process for you guys? It's interesting. We're talking to him about that. He expressed quite a, quite a strong interest in it. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I would think that I'm very encouraged that we'll keep that dialogue going and um, see how we can try to work together on that and get Steve directly involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and do you see that as competition? Because it, it may not come online at about the same time, but certainly in the not-too-distant future, if, if all were to go forward, with what's happening with the town center uh, mm-hmm. downtown, actually, further downtown. Yes, I, uh, I'm happy to report that I've had a very productive um, and positive meeting with Todd Zapolsky, the de- developer of um, that, the big downtown project, and I've uh, known Todd for a long time, and I know what he's doing over there, and he's uh, reassured me that he feels like that's a manageable um, amount of new retail, and especially if it's positioned not to compete directly with what he's trying to do. And I, I think uh, because we have the Culinary Institute as an anchor and the Oxbow Market, we really want to have retail that really ties it's in about nicely food to and wine. <laughs> Let's just say Let's it. Just say it's it. food and wine. <laughs> We're not going to be selling baby shoes over there. <laughs> Finally, uh, guys, talk a little bit about both of you, Kurt. Uh, actually, Mark, start with you about what the next steps are. What has to happen for, for you and for the CIA next? Uh, we need to more time meeting with uh, community stakeholders, uh, understanding what some of their uh, concerns uh, might be as we go through the process of approval, um, certainly work in close collaboration with uh, with Triad and, and uh, uh, developing an MOU that we think that uh, everybody can support and feel good about, um, and uh, just continuing to uh, try to keep the momentum uh, moving forward. In an ideal world, when would you like the Culinary Institute to be able to move into that building? About eight years ago would be just fine. <laughs> Short of that. uh, Our intention would be to uh, get up and running with a uh, a nominal uh, amount of operations as quickly as possible in order to, you know, bring the building back to life. And then, of course, uh, we'd have some uh, small uh, development that would be done internally to the site in order to build out teaching kitchens, which is obviously going to take a little bit more time. But we think that given the the incredibly uh, uh, great condition that the building has been uh, kept in uh, during its closure or or during this this period of time, uh, it wouldn't take long for us to be up and running in there uh, quite quickly. Are there tenants in there now, Mark, and does something have to be resolved with them? Yes, there's a a number of tenants that uh, are uh, holding operations there in in there. Uh, They're aware of the the intention to sell the building, and so there's... uh, uh, provisions in their uh, tenancy to um, to vacate on a, on a on a notice schedule that's reasonable to us. So, mm-hmm. and Kurt, uh, talk a little bit about what's next in the process. You had a sort of you and I were talking about it before we went on the air, kind of a meet and greet with the planning commission <laughs> yes. Thursday night. I don't know what exactly what kind of meeting <laughs> that was, but what's next? There's there's a lot of moving parts in this, as, as mm-hmm. you and I were talking about earlier. Take us through a little bit what happens, what happens next, what happens after that. Okay. Um, well, uh, again, the, the, the complexity of it is, of course, we've, we've gotten a lot of feedback that um, there's, there's support for the concept. But knowing that there's an existing building that fairly quickly can be occupied if we can figure out a way to do that, we don't want to slow down the Culinary Institute's ability to get up and running as fast as possible. At the same time, we want to have a structure around the longer process of how we solve the long-term issues. So uh, just to, again, 
sort of pick on parking a little bit, you know, parking has to be dealt with very um, sensitively and, and thoughtfully in both short and long-term ways. So we have to have the ability to always have sufficient parking for everybody, even while projects are under construction. But I think um, those types of issues, what we want to do in the next couple of months is to get um, uh, an understanding with the city um, that even though we have to go through a very lengthy entitlement process, we have a vision that at least in a non-binding way, because that's all you can do in the short term, but there's a sense of um, you're on the right track, you're on the right path. If we have that, and uh, both the Culinary Institute and Triad have that, uh, we believe that that gives us comfort enough to then be able to move forward with the acquisition of the property. It's, it's really very unusual and very risky, as you know, Jeff, to um, acquire expensive property without all the entitlements done. And so we, we rarely do that. We, that's, that's a very unusual process. In this particular case, I think the sellers um, in New York, because they've held the property for so long, they are anxious to have it happen that way. And so we've come to this nice sort of um, uh, happy medium on that where we have enough time to get um, that sort of comfort level from the city that keep going. And then we can proceed with um, acquiring the property, which would happen this year. That's the goal. And then, um, you know, it would have in, in an agreement, a working agreement, it would have a structure set up so that while Triad has to go through the very lengthy and expensive and very complicated process of figuring out how to get entitlements for the south side, mm-hmm. we would have thought through the issues so that we streamline uh, the Culinary Institute's ability to get up and running as quickly as possible. And talk finally, last last word. How uh, how the city has been in dealing with this so far? What is the the feedback that you've gotten? Well, Mark, I'll let you have the last word on Mark, that. But from <laughs> well, we're we're very excited about um, the relationship with the uh, the uh, the city of Napa. The leadership there are people that really get it. I mean, it's been demonstrated with how um, uh, Napa has become such a vibrant and and really attractive city for people to visit. So, um, you know, I think the uh, working with uh, Mayor Tico and her team has been uh, very encouraging to the CI. Kurt Johansson, Mark Erickson, I thank you both for uh, spending some time with us. Thank you, Jeff. It's been great. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.